0: This mountain's on fire.
1: Welcome to episode 81 of the Cigar Snob Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez, and I'm here with Eric Calvino. Hey, did we get stuck on
2: 80 for a little bit? We got stuck on 80 for okay. a little bit. All right. Well, hey, how you guys doing? And I have an ocampo.
0: Hi. You got anything to say about this? I think we're on 80. we No, no, 81. no we're 81.
2: 81. We're still on 80. No, we're still stuck. We're, yeah, we're well, still we were stuck. stuck, but now we're unstuck. Welcome to episode 80,
1: part two <laughs> of the Cigar Snob Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez. I already said that. You said 80. that. Okay. Yeah, we we'll are We'll do really it again. Stuck. We'll do it all again. Yeah, look how stuck we are. Um, all right. So on today's episode, we are smoking a new or soon-to-be-new Trinidad product.
2: I'm not clear on whether it's released yet or I not. I don't think it's officially
1: released. Either way, it yeah. is a
2: very new product. And we're going to be talking about two trips
1: that we took recently. I was in New Orleans. Eric was in Austria putting shrimp on the Barbie. Yes. Which is a joke I used on the radio show. I know I get to use my jokes twice because we have a radio show and a podcast. And uh, Ivan is going to tell us a little bit about one of our recent shoots hottest shoots
0: is it one of the hottest shoots it was great it was it was a tremendous production but she You're, was she was back. beautiful it was awesome okay yeah. okay but we're not are we
1: walking back the heat here or no it was hot, hot. it's always hot they're always hot. It was hot they're always hot so you took a trip to 1950s cuba so that's where that's to where do you that went shoot. yes that's yeah where you went uh all that on the other side of this break for a uh, little word from uh from uh look how stuck we are From episode sponsor Drew Estate. (laughs) Introducing the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, which features a dense plantation grown Matafina wrapper over a Connecticut River Valley broadleaf binder with fillers from Nicaragua. Showcasing the floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina tobacco with unique texture, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. Is manufactured at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate, blended by Willie Herrera, and presented in five vitolas. It's now available at Drew Estate Retailers nationwide. All right, we're back. Smoking the Trinidad Espíritu. Series number one is what it says on this band. Uh, this cigar is not actually shipped, I believe, to retailers, at least not as of the time of this recording. Um, but it will, should soon. The uh,
2: the branding's pretty cool. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Honestly, I think they hit it out of the park with this. The box, the label, the cigar itself. I mean, take the label off the cigar, and the cigar itself is beautiful. It's
0: smoking wonderfully.
2: And yeah, and it's actually really good. Yeah, it's a nice, like, even-colored wrapper. The sheen
1: on the wrapper is, is super nice. Yeah, it's a production, this cigar. Yeah, it's got that very,
2: like, kind of milk-chocolatey look to it. Um, and it tastes good. Tastes, I love it. I, I really do like it. I think it's. Uh, are we ready to talk about how we feel about the cigar itself? I think we can.
1: Okay, because we've been smoking it for a little bit. We were watching. Uh, we were watching
2: Double Oh Seven videos while we smoked these. So I yes, think we were. A yes, we were indeed. Uh, yeah, I think I like the. Uh, I like the balance that it has between. It has real. It has prominent pepper, but then it has real prominent like sweet creaminess Sweetness to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like that that balance at a at a basic level. It's just sweet creaminess. And pepper up front, and then there's all these other little nuances. But uh, but I like that just initial base balance.
0: I get a little of that Christmas bread that people mm-hmm. throw around,
2: like a Christmas cake. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Like cinnamony. Yeah.
1: And speaking of the the sheen on the wrapper, I I like that kind of oily feel on on the lips. It it kind of gives you a little bit extra there, and I'm I'm not crazy about like really dry cartouche. Um, no, rappers that, that sometimes kind of dry out your lips and and but this this feels really nice. Like even if, um, even if I hadn't lit it, I might just walk around with this in my mouth. Just uh, okay,
0: look, look cool.
1: Yeah, just for the look. It is oh, is that- it? Isn't there a Will Smith song about that? There's a Will Smith. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. He says something like, "I never light it. I just yeah, something like that. Yeah, just for the look. I don't light it.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. Hey Eric, where, where did you recently have cigars in your mouth?
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> a good segue. Nick. You like that? It's good. That's good. That's why I'm ho- that's why I'm driving the show here. Thank God you are. That's why I got uh, the headphones. Yeah, yeah. We we just we're poor schminks over here without headphones. Just along for the ride. But uh, no, I was in uh, as you mentioned earlier. I was in Austria. Uh, actually, I kept saying leading up to the to the trip, I kept saying Innsbruck, Austria, because that's where I was told to uh, to take my train to, but. In actuality, it was it was a town named Hoxolden. Whoa. That's
0: a yeah. good pronunciation. There, I worked buddy. on it. I
2: worked on it every day of the week over
1: there.
0: Hoxolden. You yeah.
1: always started that H. Yeah.
0: Hoxolden. <laughs> so, Does it uh, have an umlaut?
2: No. No umlaut? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. Anyways, throw it on there. Yeah. Right. So, uh, at any rate, it was an event called Mountain on Fire, sponsored by Rocky Patel uh st dupont uh Ron Zacapa and then a slew of uh wine companies and it was at this at this hotel as i mentioned and Hoxolden. and uh just outrageous event man really the best cigar event i've ever been to hands down and i've been to a bunch it's
0: a great name by the way mountain, mountain on, on fire, fire. Yeah. i i have like like the kings of leon song in my head oh ah this mountains on fire oh i like
2: that i mean That's it was all, it was off key but i liked it anyway. <laughs> i got to tune it up <laughs> <laughs> a little tuning to do we'll make that the show intro yeah so uh no man really just amazing the uh, the guys who organized it uh, just incredible koya and uh, yearn and erwin amazing job really just every detail was taken care of the food was incredible every single day at every meal we had a different wine company doing I, seminars. We had whiskeys. We had, it was just incredible. I man. saw
0: the picture of the wines. So that was pretty impressive.
2: So that, yeah, that, that wine lineup, that was actually the night before the event. We had like a, sort of like a sponsor's dinner, like in, informal. And then afterwards, uh, a little group of about 10 or 12 of us went upstairs to the, to the Sky Bar well, but let's let's oh. let's back up a little bit because I think I think we are like kind of getting into details without giving. people... Oh, sorry. A... Yeah, I just I was just answering about the that wine because that was pre-event yeah. and it was just a crazy onslaught of world-class wine.
1: So, so this is a a multi-day event, right? The, yep. The the whole thing kind of centers like if you, if you're an attendee, you're at this hotel from when you when you. It's not like a you get lodging somewhere else and then keep coming back into the event over the course of several days like some events that people are used correct
2: to. yeah this is everyone isn't there was there was uh there was some overflow but i think it was people that were working okay that were staying in a hotel across the street but all attendees of the event are in the hotel okay and so along with that the so basically the entire hotel is shut down for just this event yeah and because one of the organizers of the event is is the owner of the hotel he right. actually opens it up, and you can smoke anywhere in the hotel. Wow! Yeah, it was insanity. Like you, you walk out of your room, and there's a dude walking down the hallway of on your floor with a cigar in his mouth, chomping a cigar, smoking it. Like, guten Tag. Good, guten Morgen. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I imagine like the first time, the first
1: day, or the first time you see that, you almost want to say like, dude, I don't, I don't know if you can do that. That's like actually you, it's still your instinct.
2: You're spot on. So as a matter of fact, the very first morning after I have breakfast, I I got up a little early. I had breakfast. And then uh, Rocky comes down and Richie uh, comes down who I was hanging out most of the time with. And so I've got a cigar in my hand. I've got my lighter ready and I'm saying, Rocky, uh, let's go. Let's go smoke the cigar. And he's like, why don't you just light it? And I just, in my mind, I couldn't get around the fact that I could just light it right there where I had just had breakfast. I was waiting to like, go to like the terrace or go to the cigar bar because they have a little, like a little cigar bar there. Yeah. I was waiting to go to one of those places to light up and he's like, just fire it up, man. It, just, it it took me it took me a second to get used to that. The whole mountain it was rito. on fire, bro. The whole mountain's right. on fire. No, nah, it was it was really amazing.
1: And so it's a it's I think I remember you telling me it was roughly 150 people.
2: Yeah, uh, I think in terms of paid guests, I think it was somewhere in the ballpark of one ten, one fifteen or so, and then sponsors and others uh, brought yeah. it up to about one forty or so.
1: Yeah, so this is almost like uh, it's it's a hundred and something people. Uh, for, uh, several days in this hotel hanging. It's, it's almost like a
2: cigar retreat. Very much. And that's what it feels like. It feels like, a—I I mean, although a lot of guys did bring their wives, it felt like a, like a boy's, like a boy's trip out to, to the mountains of Austria. Yeah. It, it, it has that feel to it, like a retreat. You, you don't leave the resort for anything and you're so high up. The hotel itself is, is 2,800 meters above sea level. So you're talking uh, you know almost 9000 feet. Yeah. And and so you don't come down to the to the to the town in the valley for anything. You you kind of just stay there for everything. Except when you go uh to go do the uh, ice queue which is up where they uh where they filmed 007. So in that case we did come down and then take gondolas up to the to the peak. But uh, but other than that you don't leave the hotel. You you just you're kind of you hang out there. Everything that you need is there. Yeah, so oh. so uh, we were talking about the wines earlier, so uh, all this wine, which by the
1: way, people can see pictures of the wine and some other stuff that you did on your Instagram, the, the Cigar Snob, at Cigar Snob Mag on Instagram, uh, there's a couple of posts in there, but each one's got uh, yeah, several, like several images, images. Yeah, like seven or eight images,
2: yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's talk wine for a little bit. <clears throat> what were you guys drinking? So the wine sponsors for the event were mostly Austrian wines, and I, I wasn't very familiar with them. <sighs> But there were some excellent, excellent... I mean, all, everything was at the highest level of quality possible. Uh, the one that really just jumps out to me, though, was this uh, this ice wine called Kreischer. I had no idea. This, this Kreischer is... Uh, and, and Gerhard was there sitting across from me most of the time. Super nice guy. Passionate about cigars. Smoked cigars every day. So it was great to talk to him about his product and then cigars. Uh but it's a it's an ice wine that has won all kinds of awards. It's it's like the only uh, Austrian wine to ever beat a sauternes in that sweet wine category. Just blew my mind. Just, uh, amazing, amazing uh, ice wine. So, uh, but in addition to that, we had at the end of a dinner, we would kind of go nuts, and then everyone would start buying a different bottle. Some guys would buy a magnum. Some guys would buy some crazy. Like a nineteen ninety seven Chateau Latour, or uh, yeah, so nutty. the The wine was flowing uh, in tremendous quantities. So yeah, wine was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the breakdown of
1: people who were there. Where did people? Where were people from? For the most part,
2: it was mostly Europe, mostly all parts of Europe. But uh, but there were people from Denmark, Sweden, in addition to just a. Uh, uh, there was people from Japan, Hong Kong. Uh, there was a few American uh, Really, in terms of Americans, it was Richie, uh, Richie Castellano, who owns the world class cigar bar in uh, Fort Myers, and who partners with Rocky in some product and some projects. Uh, obviously, Rocky Patel, myself, and then another guy from Tampa that we didn't even know and we met there. Uh, so those are the only four Americans in uh, at the event. Everyone else was, like I said, uh, a lot of Austria, a lot of Switzerland, a lot of Germany. Uh, and then Sweden Denmark just luck, even Luxembourg there was a guy uh so yeah there was there was people from mostly european countries but uh man what a blast just i now have friends in places i yeah. didn't uh, <laughs> i didn't before i mean we like you said because it was a retreat type of environment you develop these like instant friendships with these people because you're around them for breakfast lunch and dinner
0: I saw the hot tub picture. I'm sure you developed a tremendous relationship.
2: <laughs> All right. I'm gonna I thought we were gonna not, I I thought I said I didn't want to talk about the hot tub picture. Let's talk hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm at a damn good time. Well the hot tub was crazy because it wasn't a hot tub, it was a pool. But it has like a section of it that kinda comes under the roof. Uh, and so it was so freaking cold outside. We were in this the, the after party of when the Mountain when Mountain on Fire is done, which by the way culminates in this like massive firework show, uh hence the name Mountain on Fire. After the fireworks show, everyone goes downstairs to the pool and you have this just hundred and fifty people pool party. And then everybody, the people that work in the hotel, every everybody just jumps in the pool. Cool. And um and so the pool is mostly outside and then this little part inside. But the part inside is a little bit small. How cold was it by the way? It was below zero. At night, wow at night it was it was cold That's it was intense. snowing and so there's this one moment there's this one moment i'll never forget where i'm in this pool with a rocky patel cigar in one hand a sh- glass of champagne in the other i've got my head like as as close to the water as i can because the water's hot but it's snowing on my bald head and so snowflakes falling on my head Cigar, champagne, and then the DJ behind me starts playing De Pasito. You know the song De Pasito? Yeah. And then they had hired a violinist who walks around, this beautiful violinist who walks around playing, uh, accompanying whatever song they're mm-hmm. playing. So De Pasito is going on with the violin playing De Pasito. Magical. And then, and I'm in, <laughs> and I kept thinking, like, and I'm sitting across, uh, not sitting, I'm in the water across from a Swedish guy and a danish guy and we're talking about trump and so it's like one of those moments where you go how what kind of confluence of events had to take place for this moment to happen a guy from miami cuban guy from miami in this pool with snowflakes on his head smoking cigars drinking champagne Pasito in the background talking trump with a swede and a danish guy yeah it was just amazing man honestly just a damn good time if you get the chance I guess the website... Is, I've, I've not looked at the website, but I imagine it's mountainonfire.com, no? Oh, I don't know. Has anyone looked? I haven't looked. What the I, hell you guys been doing while I've no, been yapping? Nobody's inviting me to the mountain on fire. What are you talking about?
1: A, while you're... Uh, yeah, it's
2: mountainonfire.com.
1: So mountainonfire.com. Uh, so Rocky Patel has been the sponsor for uh, the last so,
2: two years? Well, yeah. The, the, those were the first two years of the event. That is right. and, and Rocky's been the sponsor the whole time.
1: So do you and do you remember, maybe off the top of your head, some of the the Rocky Patel cigars or did
2: you like run through the whole portfolio you, you had time to almost okay so yeah we did have time to run through the whole portfolio but we didn't because uh in Europe Rocky distributes and and most cigar companies do they kind of limit their distribution to the milder stuff the european market isn't isn't really into the full body stuff so you won't find Tavikusa. yeah uh, i think the strongest thing that we smoked was probably the Hamlet liberation which to me, it was like, Cunho. like perfect. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I needed a little bit more, you know? Especially in that weather and all the wine. Like, you want something. Correct. Now, to be fair, Rocky, uh, Rocky brought in his luggage cigars for he and I and Richie right. to smoke. So, so, there were, we did smoke uh, the sun grown, but that, that wasn't part of the program. Yeah, that was yeah. just the three of us hanging out sure. uh, and just wanting to smoke something stronger. Yeah. But uh, but as part of the the program itself, you smoked things like uh like I said the liberation was the the strongest thing. Uh below that, you had the the 15 year. Mm, the obviously the Connecticut, the Connecticut flew. I mean it was it was always the first wow. thing yeah. to go. That they, they would have these little wheel like cart like almost like a like a rolling cart full of with with a humidor full of multiple levels of cigars and so people would would choose and i always noticed that the first thing the first shelf to be empty was always the connecticut one uh and so anyway just check it out when you get a chance mountain on fire and if if you have the ability uh by all means i highly highly recommend it mountain on fire check it out next year nice
1: so when we come back from this break, do we have any other Mountain on Fire stuff we wanted to touch no, on? There? No, no, okay. no, no. So when we come back from this break, we are going to be talking New Orleans. Ooh, and uh, and there's some pronunciation. New affected. Orleans. Uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about New Orleans. Uh, All right, man. Don't but first, me. this isn't really a break. This is me telling you about our friends at El Galang Cigars.
3: Oh, right. Ergaron.
1: El- I was about to say Ergaron. Sorry. At <laughs> <laughs> Galang Cigars, the company behind the core El Galang Line, Doña Nieves, and extensions of both brings you Vegas del Purial. Vegas del Purial is an homage to El Galang founder Felix Mesa's paternal grandparents, Felipe and Caridad Mesa, who grew tobacco in the Cuban province of Las Villas, and it is also an homage to their farm. The cigar is made at El Galang's Estelí factory and features an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Nicaraguan fillers and a new hybrid tobacco called FFMC ninety six for the binder. It is available in four Vitolas, a five by fifty Robusto, five and a half by fifty two Belicoso, seven by thirty eight Lancero, and a six and three quarters by fifty two Super Toro. Those cigars range in price from eight ninety to ten dollars per cigar. Learn more about it, Galang Cigars at elgalangcigars.com. dot com or all over all the social media things. At El Galang Cigars, El Galang Cigars, El Galang Cigars, El Galang Cigars. Wait, 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 wait! You're talking about El Galang Cigars? El
2: Galang Cigars. <laughs> All right. I was in New Orleans. New Orleans. I was in New Orleans. I, lo- um, I love me some New Orleans, bro.
0: You guys take a lot of glamorous trips, by the way. So
1: you went back in time. Okay, we're gonna get to we're gonna wow. get to you and your time machine. Wow. Uh but yeah, New Talk Orleans, life. Th- there were no uh, fiery mountains in New Orleans. A,
2: is it? Was that jealousy? What was happening? A little bit. I think that a might have been bit. what that was. A little. That might
1: have been what that was. Huh. Uh, but no, Andy, our art director, and I were in New Orleans um, where we drank a lot of rum because we were working on the travel story for our upcoming rum issue. Uh, so we're not going to get into all the detail that we did with Mountain on Fire because we want you to read the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that is coming up. I just want to, uh, you know, we'll talk New Orleans for a little bit. Uh, some things that uh, that we did. We were there just before um, the start of the New Orleans Jazz Fest, which I did years and years ago and is a, a pretty cool event. Uh, but toward the end of our trip, and even at the beginning, people were already starting to trickle in, you know, because you wanted to spend some time in New Orleans before you do a whole weekend in a fairgrounds. Uh, did Magazine Street, my first time going to, because I've been I've done New Orleans maybe four or five times, but I had never been to uh, Mayan import company. So that was cool. One yeah, of the, cool little shop. Yeah, the, the, if you're on Magazine Street, that's where you want to go for a you know a good selection of uh, all the cigars that you know and love wherever it is that you're from. Especially because once you're in the French Quarter, uh, your options are a little more limited in terms of shops that aren't just selling their own brands. Um, although not that limited. You're, you're, there are at least two places that you can get them pretty, yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, that's uh, not a problem in New Orleans. Uh, but anyway, so Mayan Import Company, and then Dos Jefes, uh, which is a cigar bar, uh, just off of Magazine Street, like walking distance from Mayan, um, and ate at Shaya. This was my second time at Shaya. If you like hummus, go to Shaya. That's where you want to be.
2: Is that it? That that's your that's your, that's their tagline. That's it if you like be. hummus, come
1: to Shaya. It should be. Um, and then we spent the second. So the thing that I found most interesting. About this particular experience uh, was that walking from Dos Jefes late at night back to Magazine Street was one of the times that Andy, who had never been to New Orleans, was sort of saying most emphatically that he felt like he was walking through Havana. Uh, oh, no kidding. That's cool. Yeah, so the French Quarter, the French Quarter, you certainly get that, but th- it wasn't until he said it that was like, oh yeah, this actually does feel like walking through one of those like a Miramad, right? Like one of those more like suburban, you know, single family home areas in the outskirts of Havana. Uh, and it also helps that everywhere in new Orleans, the roads and the sidewalks are all jacked up. Yeah. Uh, kind of feels like Cuba, even in the nice parts, right? Yeah. Like they're all jacked up and nobody seems to care. And it's just a part of life. Like, no, you, you, there's, to there's you're some stuck.
0: history. Somebody told me some history about really? all the sidewalks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something I, I, yeah. I, I can't remember right now, but there's like a purpose for them still being the way they are. Got it.
1: Got it. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know that, but we'll, we'll find out. I just know they're all messed yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, we spent the better part of the following afternoon with Wayne Curtis, whose work you may have read in the pages of Cigar Snob years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is a booze expert who's written extensively about rum. Uh, two places that jump out that I would recommend people check out if uh, if you head over to New Orleans. Number one, Tropical Isle, which is... Everybody knows it's hard to miss Tropical Isle when you're walking up and down Bourbon, but order a shark attack. It tastes like shit. Uh, you will not want to finish it.
0: Can't wait to go
2: get it. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not getting the recommendation, though. <laughs> but what's wait. fun
1: about it, and he actually, we went out of our way because Wayne wanted us to experience the shark attack. It's so cheesy, but fun. You order the shark attack, and all this noise is happening, and bells are ringing, and they bring out a little rubber shark. And like gesture at you menacingly like it's going to eat you and then they drop it in your drink. And so I went around uh, the rest of that night with a plastic shark in my front pocket.
2: And that can be seen on your Instagram account. It can
1: be seen. If you want a picture of me with a shark in my pocket and also drinking from a drink with a shark in it. Baby
2: shark, yeah. shark, shark, shark. There shark, you go. Oh,
1: nicely done. Uh, so wait, what is it? What is your Instagram Oh, account? my Instagram. Wow. That is, I think this is my first Instagram plug on the Cigar Snuff well, Podcast. Well, should. At Nicolás A. Jimenez. So Nicholas with no H, middle initial A, last name Jimenez. And that's where you find pictures of me with a shark. I like in my how pocket. you made that simple for people.
2: Yeah. Like full on middle initial and everything. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, that's that's the way I like to do things. Yeah. For for brevity. Uh I'm thinking of uh of the big Lebowski. El Dudorino if you're into the whole brevity thing. Or if you're not into the whole brevity thing. So yeah, <laughs> I I have the El Deudorino of uh of Instagram handles. Um and then I went with my shark in my pocket to Arnaud's, which a lot of people also know. Love me some Arnos, But I think a lot of people do not know, because I've asked a lot of people who are very familiar with New Orleans, that there is a museum above Arnaud's that doesn't cost anything to get into. And it is where the original owner's apartment used to be. And it is really freaking cool. Because the whole thing is that you go around, and then behind glass cases, they have all of this lady's costumes. So she used to be, or uh, in, in her life, way back when... Uh, was like a Bourbon Street socialite.
2: How far back does this date? Like thirties. Okay.
1: Yeah, like twenties, thirties. So, um, so she would go all out with her Mardi Gras costumes, and so they have all these costumes uh, behind glass. And the f- cool thing about it is that they're very ornate, very elaborate, like all kinds of stuff and like long, you know, ten foot trains Floyd on the and, yeah. dresses and stuff. And they are all filthy because she actually used them at Mardi Gras. She's like walking through.
2: You know, all the Bourbon Street craziness. Can you imagine, yeah, walking through 1930. If today your dress would be filthy, imagine in the 1930s. Right, right, yeah.
1: So it's like going to, like, you know, uh, uh, like, for instance, the World War II. Actually, that was was one of the funny things that occurred to me was you go to the World War II museum and a lot of these artifacts – are in like pristine shape. You know, they don't have, yeah, you, you're looking at these at these uh, uh, uniforms and you're sort of imagining. Things used in, in war. Yeah, yeah. And you're like imagining what they would have looked like after a battle. Well, she uh, left everything in the condition that it was after the Battle of Mardi You Graf- don't have to imagine it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, that was a cool thing. And then the World War II Museum, which we've mentioned here on the podcast before,
2: but can't recommend it enough. Can't recommend that enough. Honestly, yeah. it's like, I, I people still must listen to this and go, what are they talking about? World War II Museum. Get out of here. I'm not interested in that. It is the... I don't know. It's, it's the museum that I've been to that, that is most well designed. Like the flow of the museum works so well to tell you the story of that particular part of the war. And you can do it. You don't have to like take in the whole war. You can go to like... Uh, the, you can go to the Battle of Midway and you can go through that section and just immerse yourself in that world. You were the fir- Ivan, you were the first one to tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A,
0: it's a great museum, I and mean, it's not one of those massive, like, Smithsonian Louvre-type museums Correct. where it takes, like, three or four days to go. You can see it in one day, Yeah, and it's great. Well,
2: you, years back, once, uh, when you went, because I know that he says that we're the only ones that travel, bought, but here he is telling me what I should do. So, he, uh, he came back from New Orleans raving about the World War II Museum. And I remember thinking, why is he, like, seriously, like the World War II museum? But it's Ivan. And so I've known this guy since we were kids. So he wouldn't tell me to go out of my way to go do that if it wasn't worth it. So I took a flyer on it, and it was awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did I tell you Nick sent me a picture of one of the artifacts from the museum?
2: No, you did not. Yeah. This is breaking on the air right now. Yeah. He
0: sent me an image of one of the artifacts that was at the museum, and I happen to own it. Oh, oh my God. I think I know what you're talking about. It's 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 a dagger that I own, it's in my possession. Uh, oh, by around. the way I was sending you uh, images of what I was playing on um, I, yeah, I saw on that. Spotify you saw that I was yeah. li- I was on my uh New Orleans Brass Band You know, no one else brass is playing this right, except for you uh, two guys okay i just describing yeah, our yeah, text changes yeah. <laughs> But uh but yeah
1: <laughs> No but tell it but tell us about uh, this was the, recovered the, presumably the dagger, from yeah. the, from the yeah, March uh, of the Ocampos. My
0: uh, so my one my one uh inheritance, inheritance from my <laughs> father which he has already given to me
2: uh, he, he's still alive. He lives in New Jersey by the way. <laughs> uh
0: gave me a World War II brown shirt Nazi dagger. I don't know how he came across it, but uh it's in good shape. He gave it to me. I own it and then Nick.
2: He gave it to you like in a in a like a public bag like in a wrap, Yeah, ra- <laughs> wrapped in paper towels. Yes.
0: Looks like I remember
2: him showing it to me. I was like, "This is what he gave it yeah, to me." Yeah, looks
0: a little shady, but uh but yeah, it's It it's, looks
2: like he bought it at Chinatown. It's the real deal though. But yeah, No, yeah. It, it, it looks oh, it just is. like the one behind that glass. No, it, it definitely is. does look real. But it when is. he brings it out of this uh, encasing, it looks like something that was bought in Chinatown. Yeah. where Where is that thing now? Do you have it like prominently displayed? Don't tell anyone. No, Maybe no, we'll I can't.
0: Yeah, no, I can't. It's I can't disclose so, that. It's
2: so okay. incredibly valuable. Yeah. I actually
0: use it for home defense. It's right <laughs> under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so
1: don't bring it to Ivan's house or you'll get a Nazi dagger. <laughs> right in you. Um, other New Orleans things. Uh, Pesh, Pesh was good. Uh, by the way, World War II Museum. One last note about that. It worked out really well for us because it was there was a torrential downpour uh, the last morning we were there, and even if you're not, even if you have reservations about like, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not a World War II history buff or a museum person. If it's raining in New Orleans, there's very little that you can do to stay indoors for, you know, the better part of a day.
2: Well, well, assuming that you're trying to uh, gather information for an editorial that you're going to write. Because otherwise, you just stay inside of a bar. You can just stay inside of yeah, a yeah, bar. Yeah. Yeah. So, but even we'll then, like, clear if, you're, on that. if you're traveling, you want to bar hop a little bit. And yeah, spe-
0: speaking of, the bar and restaurant inside the World War II Museum is amazing, yeah, too. Yeah, pretty damn good. Very yeah. good, yeah.
1: So uh, so anyway, if it's raining in New Orleans, that's a pretty solid move. Um. All right, so uh, we're going to do one last commercial break from Drew Estate before we come back and talk about Ivan's trip to 67 years ago. Um, Yeah, here's a word from Drew Estate. Here's an ad. Check it out. Introducing the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, which features a dense plantation-grown Matafina wrapper over a Connecticut River Valley broadleaf binder with fillers from Nicaragua. Showcasing the floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina tobacco with unique texture, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro is manufactured at La Gran Fábrica Drew Estate, blended by Willie Herrera and presented in five vitolas. It's now available at Drew Estate retailers nationwide. And we're back. We are going to be talking about Ivan's trip to 1950s Cuba
2: a recent photo shoot. Ivan, tell us all about this. About, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, before we get into that. Yeah, let's that, talk a little about the cigar. Uh, let's update oh, the cigar because yeah. I'm about 50% through here. Okay. How you guys feel about it? Uh, the intensity has yes. ramped up significantly. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah, more wood, more pepper for me.
0: But still very pleasant. No, no. Absolutely. I can smoke two more of these today.
2: Look at that. Watch out. Because, uh, you know, he's not the the guy who who tackles cigars in that no, quantity I'm not, so when he says that I'm not that, that guy no
0: he that is, that means he really is, likes it I really like it I can smoke this that's thing high down to braise, the road. yeah
2: high praise from Ocampo and i get like on the
1: on the finish there's sort of a cuz there is some some hot spice but it's almost like a like a hot cinnamon for me uh, Yeah, like a, yeah, hot, like a red cant- hot yeah yeah
2: yeah you're right that's a good point
1: yeah so it's it's nice it's got like that kind of spicy sweetness that I, I don't think that's a super common characteristic in cigars. It's not something you come across all the time,
2: so it's kind of a, an interesting characteristic that it has. Well, especially when it started with such right. heavy cream, yeah, and now it's like bam. Yeah, so it's yeah, interesting yeah. when it when it does those those transitions. I like that stuff, right? So this was the featured cigar there in our go.
0: in our shoot that right. we did uh, in your setup here with this. 1950s Cuba shoot uh, right. where we partnered up with Altaris and we shot the Trinidad of Piritu, Uh on the set of the Amparo Experience. So you'll be seeing this in our, what month? Uh, July, August issue.
2: No, no, no. This is coming out now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is May, June. Yeah, this is coming out later this month.
0: Yeah. So this will be in our next issue. Uh, and yeah, it was a tremendous collaboration. We can go through like a, an entire list of of people that helped to us out to thank. Yeah. to thank to that put this together. But it was really – right, it, it was a big begin. production. <laughs> 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 uh, right off the top of this, George Cabrera and Michael Sheen. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: George Cabrera with uh, Broadway Factor. And, and Michael with, Sheen with uh, Team Industries, which is a Picardi company.
0: Yeah, without them uh, and the guys at Altidus, uh, Eddie uh-huh, Guerra and, and Brad, and Brad yeah. um, weren't able to do this. But everybody came through and I think we did an incredible job. Uh, they they actually lent us some of the cast members from the Amparo experience. You know
2: that whole thing made the shoot. I mean, I know that I'm talking about this. You guys haven't seen it yet, but uh, but the initial shots, the initial edits that that Ivan and I have been going through, the shoot looks like it cost four times. Yeah, because of the level of production value that uh that we gained by shooting it on that location. And with that, with the actors, with the actors in it, so it just really it looks amazing. Yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait for people to. Yeah, see Yeah, the
0: it. styling was on, but the styling actually—if if most people haven't seen uh, the packaging on the Trinidad—so yeah. you're gonna see that it's a great uh, combination of yeah, styles like, like that an we're integration able to of the, of
2: the packaging with yeah, our styling. with, with right? the styles. I thought so. you guys.
0: I think I think every, off, you guys yeah, killed it on that. Yeah, it was a, a great job with everyone. Um, yeah. and other person we have to thank is NBC NBC 6's Bob oh, Meyer Bob Meyer and who,
2: and uh, Louis Fialos who hooked uh, up hooked us up with Bob Meyer. Yeah,
0: Bob is a uh classic car collector. He told me he's got like 6 or 7 of these beautiful classic cars and he hooked us up with this uh it was a 1957 Thunderbird. It was like candy apple red, white white top, beautiful. This. Um so yeah.
2: Yeah, that looked incredible. I I had a uh, I saw the first half of the shoot not even the first half. I left like at, at 11 a.m., but uh, but I could tell that we were going down the right path. And, uh, man, just love how it turned out. Can't yeah, wait, can't can't wait, wait for to, people to see it. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so if you don't know much about the Amparo experience that we've been talking about, the last episode, episode 80, is the one where um, we included a lot of discussion and more detail yep. on what it is. But this is uh, the immersive uh, theater production that uh, sort of runs you through the history of the Havana Club brand, how it was nationalized by the Cuban government, and then how it ended up in its current form, manufactured and distributed by Bacardi in the United States. So check that out. Check out that next issue of Cigar Snob for that photo shoot. Anything else we want to say about that?
2: Well, I mean, for for uh, for those who have tickets uh, for May 11th, the May 11th shows of the Amparo Experience You will have, uh, we will be having that after party in the rum garden. Right. And so we've already, I guess I can make the announcement here. We've signed up uh, the three cigar companies that will be giving out complimentary cigars that night at the Cigar Snob After Party uh, will be Fuente, Altadis, and Oliva Cigars. Good stuff. So three super solid uh, companies that I, I mean, those are just, those are three excellent brands uh, so you're gonna get you're gonna get a cigar from each. You're gonna get cocktails. That's if you're coming to the May 11th show. Uh, if you're not, I'm sorry. It's gonna be pretty awesome. Very good. <laughs> uh, so the last thing we're doing on this episode, a little
1: different. We're gonna we're gonna skip our usual parting recommendations. Yep. This time around, we're gonna leave you with a uh, a little mini interview. Although I think it goes like 15, 20 minutes. Um, cool. I, I did an interview with one of the cast members uh, from the Amparo Experience, who you will also see uh, photos of in this photo shoot. Her name is Marcela Paguaga, and she is uh, also happens to be the niece of Jose Oliva. That is correct. Of, and also of other Olivas. I've known Marcela since <laughs> she
2: was uh, a little little girl. I mean, right, yeah, yeah. For people who, who
1: don't know, maybe yeah. are, who haven't heard this to, you know this mention on the podcast, you have a very close relationship with the Oliva family.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, it's just, it was... For me, mind blowing to see her on stage, yeah, uh, playing playing that role. What is it? It's Ma- Maria, Maria Margarita. Ma- Maria Margarita is the role Mendoza, that she plays, I believe. Is the Oh uh, You're right. You're right. Yeah. Ma- no, no, Mar- Maria Maria Margarita, Margarita Mendoza. Was... That's right. Uh, mind blowing to see this little girl who, yeah. again, I've known since she was, I don't know, probably six, six or seven. I think she mentioned in the interview four. I think she said that she's known you since she was four. Four. There you go. Look, I didn't even know. Uh so yeah, to see her as a grown woman doing this. Performance and she's a key member of the show, a key cast member. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, very proud, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And she's definitely like, uh, as far as the very proud musically, one of the stars of the show. She's absolutely uh, very talented, very, very talented. The the title role is is the Amparo role, but
2: as far as musically, she is the thing that you come away from like remembering. Correct, uh, and and at least in the in the track that Ivan and I did, which was the George track. Because uh, the show—if you haven't heard it—if you haven't heard episode eighty, the show is broken up into—is it four tracks or five? Five tracks, uh, and so the one track that we did, there's this like uh, sort of love, love uh, interest, and she's the love interest of the guy who ends up being uh, one of the key villains oh, who, I didn't even who know turns it. over. Yeah, in our track, and so there's that whole thing where they look at each other and. And then he's about to go to the other side, but she wants to keep him on the good side. And, dude, yeah. it was like, for me, I was just mesmerized. Like, I can't believe Marcella's doing this, That's and cool. she's so good at it. That's cool. So I was very proud of her, man. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, we're going
1: to uh, cut to that. We'll, we'll leave it here. Like, we'll just end it with that. So cool. we'll, we'll say our goodbyes here. Uh, but what you're about to hear is uh, my sit-down with Marcela Paguaga, where we talk about not only the Amparo experience and her role in it, but also growing up uh, you know, with, with the Olivas and with her grandfather, Hibeto Oliva Sr. Yep. Uh, yeah, so thanks. All right,
2: y'all. Well, thank you again for, for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys on episode 82.
1: Until yep. next time. Until next time. Here's Marcela Paguaga. Let's start with... A little bit of your own personal background, and we were just talking about some of this. Okay. But you know, I, I think for our readers or our listeners, they're going to be interested in in the cigar connection here. So, talk a little bit about your your family and the role that cigars played in in your own upbringing. Like, what, what are you know the where do you see cigars fitting into your growing up?
3: So, um, cigars have a huge part of my life. My grandfather was beto oliva senior um so th- really it's i from a young age i remember the cigar talk i remember them talking about cigar shows i remember the smell um it's one of my favorite smells in the entire world um i always say that i'm a cigar snob because i can smell a good cigar versus a bad cigar um but just growing up it was it was part of life you know my uncle's were outside smoking cigars at every event, at every barbecue, at everything, at every moment. My grandfather always had a cigar in his hand, if it was lit or if it wasn't lit, he always had one until his last day here. Um, so it's it's part of my life. It's it's. I walk into bars or lounges or restaurants, and I, I go to see if there's a cigar humidor who do they have? Do they have Olivas? There's like this, this pride that I walk around and it's because he works so hard for it that it, it makes me smile every time I see them.
1: So I, I recently sent you that, that little compilation of interviews that we did. Um, (coughs) So two part question. Uh, Do you remember like about when or how, especially not being like a frequent cigar smoker from what you've told me, you came to realize like, Oh shit. Like, my grandfather is somebody like there's people that want him to give. There's people that want my grandfather's autograph. Like that's got to be a little bit of a weird thing, right?
3: Um, I didn't realize it until I went to a cigar show for the first time. We went to my sister and I went to the one in Orlando. Now, you need to understand that we've heard about these cigar shows since we were five years old. So when we finally were of age and were able to go, it was like the coolest thing. And walking around with my grandfather and having people stop him and take pictures and, and talk, and my grandfather was a socialite. Like he, he loved talking. He can talk to the wall. But he had such a pride walking around those cigar shows and knowing that people were going to come and talk to him and, and talk about his favorite thing in the whole wide world and take pictures with him. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's a legend. He, people know who he is. Um, and People respect him, and I think that was the coolest thing. Of you, you see these these guys who have huge cigar businesses but come to him for advice or come to him and thank him for you know paving the way. And it's it was amazing to see that.
1: So, kind of uh, related to that, and the segue into this Amparo thing that we'll talk about, talk about the role that Cuba plays in your life, Cuba, and and to. Maybe like a little bit of a notes. I think people who followed or who know the, the company sort of through that know a little bit of, of at least Gilberto Sr.'s story. Yeah. But talk about the role that Cuba plays in your life and, and how that sort of shaped you um, and your, you know, uh, what is your connection to the story that you've been telling for a little while now?
3: So growing up, it wasn't something I heard a lot about. Um, I don't know if it's a Cuban thing or it's just my grandfather but he never talked the bad As, at least to us he never um, spoke bad about Cuba or the, the bad things that he had to go through it was always um, I went through this and it taught me this um, when he was 8 years old he was really sick um, but that didn't stop him that showed him that he had to like, work harder you know when the revolution happened and he lost everything, he went out and and start he started over. So growing up, not really hearing about the bad stuff. When it came to do the show, I would hear these stories. I lost him a month before booking Amparo, um, and I remember booking Amparo and kicking myself, saying, "Why didn't I sit down and ask more?" and learn more. So I I sat down with my grandmother, and I sat down with my mom, and I said, you guys need to tell me more stories. You need to tell me what he went through, you know, the struggles that he went through. Um, And I think hearing those stories, and hearing those connections, and then being able to do Amparo, which is a show about a family who lost it all, and had to start over, and did not give up. And that's his story. He, he, He... We always say that he was a cat with so many lives because there were so many times that he could have passed and he could have died, and and he just kept going. He kept going and he kept going. Um, So that's what I took during the show was no matter what, and especially for my character who is someone who gets let down a lot but does not give up, and she keeps going, um... I had to channel that, and I had to really connect with, okay, he lost everything in Cuba, went to Nicaragua, when the Sananitas came, he lost everything in Nicaragua, had to start over, and never complained. And I think that was that's the biggest thing. He never complained. He started over and he kept going and he kept going. And the story, you see that with the tragedy that happens, you just have to keep moving and you have to keep going. You have to keep going. So I think that was the, the connection. Um, and then you, f- I've always been proud of being Cuban American, but it wasn't until I did this show that I was like, man, I am Cuban and that is something to be very, very proud of. So he's been with me during this entire process and, and hearing more stories about his family and his upbringing just makes it more powerful doing this show. Right.
1: And and some of that, I think, probably, you know, it, it's fitting that your role or part of your role in this is sort of that musical through line of La De Yeah. Which, you know, in light of that, there's all of that. Uh, there's the exile aspect, there's the perseverance aspect. And in some way or another, and maybe I'm reading more into it, but there, you can sort of... At, if you, if you really want to, you can read a lot into those lyrics. that yeah. sort of fits with with your and your family's experience. What's what's the feedback, assuming that any of your family has had a chance to go, because the tickets have been hard to come by, right? Uh, but what's the feedback been from your family that knows some of that background that maybe you got deeper into to prep for this?
3: Um, so my mom and my sisters are the only ones who have come so far. Jose comes May 11th. My aunt comes. So everybody else is coming Um, Now in May, but she, she, my mom lived through like she, she really understood it. So I remember her coming to see it, and I was I don't get nervous for these shows anymore. I was a nervous wreck. Like I could not like even put a sentence together because I knew how it was gonna hit her, and I knew how hard it was going to be, but. She saw when after the show we, we went to dinner, and she said to me, For someone who didn't really hear the stories, and for someone who didn't live it, I looked at you and I, I thought that you went through this entire thing. Um, and I think it's really just listening and hearing stories, and reading articles, and listening to my grandmother talk, um, and really understanding what these people went through. We're doing a show that is all about truth. So if you as an actor are not truthful, it loses the integrity of the show. So I think we all did our research. We all, I mean, we were five weeks in rehearsal and I remember three rehearsals was just sitting down doing timelines of, okay, this is what happened in Cuba from 1957 to 1997. Like and sit down doing research, and I think that helps. It also helps that everyone in the cast is either Cuban or Cuban American, so we've know we know this story. Our parents went through it. Our grandparents went through it. Our great grand like. So she, I think for her is she was more she was p- more proud than anything seeing me do this, and we worked really hard for the show, and it's a show that takes a lot of you. Um, after the show, she was like, "Your grandfather is so proud," and I'm like, "Okay, we're not gonna do this. I'm gonna start crying. I can't. I I can't do it." Um, but I think it's more of a of a proud thing. Her being Cuban and her knowing that her daughter is passing the story along is what's so important.
1: So for for the person who has never been exposed to immersive theater,
3: okay. talk a
1: little bit about. About what that is what your experience was with it before this and uh, what your experience has been with how people process that because especially in Miami that like we were talking about before the mic came on it's not really a theater town
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, this is sort of like another level of like oh shit what what am I doing here uh, so what what's your experience been bringing that to a whole to a, a, an audience for whom that's like so new
3: so I did immersive theater for the first time in 2017 with a company, and it was a different type of show. The show was quick. It, it There was different little um, skits going on. My skit was 15 minutes. I would do it 10 times a night, but it was quick, and it was lighthearted. Um, you would go in, and you were having a good time. there. Yeah, there was things that you would um, – there were serious topics, but at the end of the day, it was still a very lighthearted show. And even though it was immersive, it wasn't very interactive. Like, people would go into the scenes, and they were immersed in the scenes, but they weren't participating, if that makes sense. You were standing in the scene, and you can walk around, but actors weren't interacting with you. In my room, I was interacting with the audience, but it was different. With Amparo, I don't think we knew how people were gonna react. You you think people are gonna react one way and then you do the show and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, People have a cocktail experience before. It's an hour of free drinking. Um, At the end of the day, it is a show about Havana Club. So you wanna give everybody the full experience. A lot of emotions are triggered. It is a very immersive and interactive show, which means you are in, you're actors with us. Like, you are in the show with us. You are being taken. You are being, like, people are grabbing you. It is super immersive. Um, Some people react amazing to it. Some people go along with the ride and don't say anything and enjoy it. And some people laugh because they're uncomfortable of the topic, some people cry and get mad. And seeing the, those reactions are more like, oh, like shit, we're, hit, like we're hitting something, we're hitting something. Some people think that they're so part of the show that they can scream and they can talk back to the actors and they can curse some of the actors out. Um, but I think it's because, again, we're hitting a subject that is very sensitive, especially in the Miami culture. Um, we're hitting a subject that a a lot of the older generation here went through or their parents went through. So people are going to get uncomfortable and people are going to yell back and people are going to refuse certain things. People are going to have notas, so people are going to you know, say shit that they shouldn't say and, and do things that they shouldn't do. But at the end of every show, no matter how pissed people were, no matter how much people were crying, everyone at the end of the show comes up to us and says, thank you so much for doing this, for telling our story, for continuing to do this. So if you've never been a part of immersive theater production, if you've never seen it, get ready because it's not like anything. There was one part of the show I won't say because I don't want to ruin it, but there's, there was two ladies next to me and one of the ladies says to her friend, Okay, no one told us that this was this intense. Because you don't, you don't think what what happens, you never expect it. You come in and you're in Tremenda Pachanga, downstairs drinking. You go upstairs to 1957 Club Nautico and it's another like huge party. You're dancing, you're drinking, you're singing. You, you, you get split up and it's still very light, very fun. You come back, 1958, and you know my character sings her solo. It's still, people are singing and then... The shit hits the fan and people are like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I thought this was. Were,
1: were you surprised when you, from the time that you first learned about the project to the time that you maybe read through a script or went through the first, were you surprised by how intense it was? Because I, I even spoke to people and, and before, for example, Eric, our publisher, went through the show and told me what it was because he went through uh, a rehearsal before the before the opening. Yeah. Yeah. I would have assumed like a lot of people and I wonder maybe why that's some people maybe that's why some people go into it and, and don't know what to expect there's a part of you as like a, the, the person going through that experience that's wondering am I like walking through a Bacardi commercial right now and if I am there's no way that this is gonna hit me on some emotional level I'm gonna be walking through an hour long commercial and I want the cocktails at the yeah. beginning and the end and then when people are there is when they realize what it is did it surprise you?
3: Um so I started with the project in 2018 when we first did the first pilot in Miami. It was a totally different show than what it is now. My character has evolved. I can't even tell you. I remember sitting down. We didn't get... It was, it was very like we signed an NDA. Like We didn't know anything until our first day of rehearsal that we were given a script. And before we read through the show our director and our director uh, Victoria Colado, Colado and Vanessa Garcia who's the playwright said okay this is what this is and they explained uh, Team Enterprise came up to us they want to do a campaign for Havana Club and they said what better way to for people to know our story than by doing a play and I said okay so we're selling rum like that's That's what we're doing. We're selling rum or we're doing a campaign for a rum company. Very quickly, you learn that you weren't selling rum. That Havana Club is not just a rum. Havana Club is uh, a family that went through exile and tragedy and had to start over. So it connects very quickly with everybody else's family. So I think we very quickly forgot that we were doing a campaign and it became we're doing a show about about cuba we're doing a show about our our families
1: (laughs) which which i imagine even if you were never super engaged maybe you were at some point but even if you never really like took on a a job with oliva cigars (laughs) there's an element of that right like you're selling a good your, right. you know, you have your margins, you have your marketing, but at the end of the day, there's a story there, and this is something that I think is. It, it probably felt less foreign to you because you've been around on some level, yeah. an industry that knows what it is to sell something so personal.
3: And I I use that so so much. Um, like I said, I walk into bars, and I walk into lounges, and I walk into hotels. And if I see a cigar humidor, or if I see cigar boxes, the first thing I'm going to do is see if there's oliva. It's it's this thing. Now, if I walk into bars, the first thing I do is see if they have the real Havana Club. But it, it didn't become that I'm a walking salesperson for Havana Club. It became that I'm a, a act like a activist for for families who've lost it all, who had. That's what it became. It became this like. You kind of get angry because you learn the story, and you're like, "What? That's not fair! Like, why? Why is that happening to them? That's not fair. That's like if someone somewhere else starts Oliva Cigar, you better believe that I, like, I, I'll put a whole show together to let people know that's not.
1: We're gonna be buying tickets to the, the Marcella Experience.
3: <laughs> <Right>? No, <laughs> so I would I would like send people to hell. So it became personal. Um, the show and, and, and the Miami pilot, you know you still you went through the not really the club takeover, but you went through you know them taking going into the factory and you had certain parts like that. When we did it in New York, um, it was a lot more immersive in the point that you followed six characters around but it was a short show it's like i wouldn't it wasn't even an hour this is a different monster and this is really hitting parts that like you're sitting in jail cells you know you're 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 in the 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 revolution you're in it you're in it so it's it's totally different and i don't think anyone can prepare you for this type of theater Um, Or this type of show. I think it's a show that hits you so hard. For me, I feel like I was meant to do a show like this. So no matter how much you prep, (laughs) nothing preps you for it.
1: All right. So just to to wrap up, do you want to like, I don't know, plug yourself or tell people where to follow you or any of that kind of thing?
3: (laughs) So I'm on Instagram, Marcella Powaga. So M-A-R-C-E-L-A. Paguaga, P-A-G-U-A-G-A. And then I'm on Twitter, same handle. Twitter what, is
1: not. what should people expect from, as, as an Instagram follow, what are people getting from you?
3: Um, right now, I think you're just getting all the back, behind the scenes. Um, you're getting the stories. You're getting, I, I repost a lot. I repost a lot of people when they come and see the experience. Um, I think we're beyond grateful and, you know, we got extended into June, which we're ecstatic about because it gives people an extra month to see it. But I think for me, you're just gonna, it's the influencer life, I hate no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but a lot of Ambaro stuff, yeah.